goodness. Now I have to be all serious and super spiritual after that one. Good morning. I really like what God's doing. And if you're visiting for the first time, if you came with mom, welcome to Granite Creek, Pastor Josh. Welcome to our church family, which is amazing, I think, by the way. And as we were doing worship, I just want to highlight something before I get into the message. I, I, I believe that God is going to begin a restoration process inside of people's souls. And it takes place in the context of Sabbath. It is a, it is a divine rhythm of life being in the house of the Lord and worshiping Him in the assembly. It's just the way that He's designed it. He's the way that He set it up. Now, to be clear, worship is meant for, for God. Like, this isn't a concert. This isn't a self-help seminar. We're, we're in the house of the Lord. We are, we are giving Him our attention. You are, you are literally in the band. So I, I hope that's a mindset that you guys can get, that we are singing to God we're not being sung to, right? That's just, okay. Yet, God comes into his house, into our midst, to minister to us. Whenever you return home, and maybe, you know, you're going to go home, or maybe you're going to go to mom's house a little bit later today. Whenever you return home, there is a restoration process that begins. And I think that that's what God's doing uh, in church. Maybe not just necessarily our church, but we'll just say any healthy church that's, that is following Jesus right now. There's a connection that he wants to make inside of his house to rebuild fractured, broken, scattered, ready for this, believers. Yeah, we're going to go after the unsaved and people that don't know Jesus, absolutely. But there needs to be a rebuilding and a restoration of the believer in this, this coming season. This is what I see the Lord doing, and I saw it during ministry time. Uh, you come into the house to be discipled, and he wants to disciple you. And what that looks like is, is kind of what you saw taking place, we call it ministry time, during ministry time where we allow God to minister to us. So, I'm going to put it out there as a challenge to you to open yourself up to receive prayer. You might just think it this might be for some specific people. It's not. It's for everybody. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want you to, it might seem weird, but you need to be prayed for. You, you need to be put back together. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that He can begin to restructure your soul again, to make you whole, to make you complete, to, to build your integrity in the Lord. So we're going to do it again next week. And I just want you to prepare yourselves to be prayed for. And, and again, I'm like, this is not me, Pastor Josh. I'm kind of a private person. I don't like that kind of thing. Uh, too bad. Just, like, just prepare yourself. And if God, if God prompts you, be courageous and respond. I have built it into my lifestyle that if I ever hear a word from God, no matter who gives it, whether it is some super mega church apostle dude or if it's a sixth grader, I will respond to the call if it resonates into my spirit. I've made that deal with God. I'll tell you this one story and then I'll get into the message. So I made that, I don't want to, you should never deal with God, you'll lose, Okay. So I had this conversation with God. Okay, God, if I ever hear something, I'm just going to be obedient in my spiritual life, and I will respond to any call that resonates inside of me. If it feels like it might be me, then it's me. It's like, for example, if somebody says, I think God wants to heal headaches, and I happen to have a headache, I won't be like, well, I'll just save that prayer for someone else that might have a headache. I don't want to be selfish. No, I'm like, no, okay, if I have a headache, it's me. I'll just go up and I don't care. I've been around this, we call it, if you don't know, we're, we're a, we have a charismatic theology. It means we believe that all the gifts are for today. 
I've grown up in this lifestyle. I've grown up in this tradition. I love it. And I've been there, and I've done that. I've seen every crazy trend. I've seen every move of God. I've seen every outpouring, every crazy thing that you could possibly think of. I think that I've seen it all. But just when you think that you've seen it all, guess what? You haven't seen it all. And years ago, we had uh, Randy Clark came to the church, and he spoke. And um, it was really exciting. And there's a couple of other things that we did with other churches. And we were in a meeting... And he said something not profound. <laughs> and he said something as simple as like, if anybody else wants a touch from God, if you want more from God, just come on up to the front. It was really that, it was really that bland. And, but I remember that conversation I had with God. And I'm like, well, that resonated. I want more from God came up to the front, like, been there, done this. I've had so many people pray for me. I've had so many different encounters. It's just another little thing. I, honestly, I went up there with a little bit of apathy, but I went up there with obedience. Okay, does that make sense? No. I don't know where it came from. I don't know what happened. But I stepped across that line and he prayed for me, and he's like, and he felt my hands. My hands are cold right now. And he's like, oh, my goodness, your hands are ice cold. You have an anointing of healing on your life. I'm like, that's cool. Heard that before. Tell me something I don't know, Randy. Right? Oh, 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 oh. right? Have you ever done this? And then he takes my hand. Puts my hands on top of my head like this. And it felt like a million volts of electricity. Now, I'm a pretty even killed, emotionally balanced guy. I'm not that, you know, over the top. I like heavy metal music, right? I, just, I, like, I like rock music. I like. You know, I just, just, but I'm not going to be the kind of guy at a secular concert that's dancing. I'm not going to be screaming my head off. In fact, I don't even, I, I don't really, I can't dance at all. So I'm not that kind of guy, right? People have tried to teach me how to dance. It's impossible. So I'm a, I'm a kind of introvert. I'm a learned extrovert. Like this speaking in public thing, this doesn't come naturally to me. It's not who I am. I'm a, I'm a quiet, keep to my kind of self guy. I would rather be alone than hang out with a bunch of people. I get energized by being by myself. My wife gets energized by being in crowds of people. I'm an introvert. But man, was I emotional in this moment when God came in and electrified my entire body. Things came out of me that I haven't heard in a very long time. You might even think that I was demon-possessed because I could not handle the power of God flowing through my body. It was bizarre. I was knocked out on the floor for hours. By the time I came out, everybody else was laying on the floor and passed out. Like, this is, this is what we call an experience with God. And it doesn't happen all the time, but maybe it should. And it should happen now, because we need a touch from God now more than ever. So, I'm asking you to pray about it. I'm asking you to begin to prepare your hearts, because you need to be rebuilt from the inside out. The self-help books aren't working. The building better habits thing isn't working. You know, what's going to work is going to be the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you, and it, again, it's going to take place. He's going to rebuild you in his house, in the house of the Lord. So if that's what you want, come again next week, and you're going to get prayed for. So I don't know how it looks like, but that's what the Lord said. Yeah? All right. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, right now, we just ask you just to continue to come into our midst and Holy Spirit, fill us up from the inside out. Begin to do this work inside of us. And may we be obedient to your calling on our lives. May we have the courage to step across lines of faith. May we begin to see not only in the natural, but may we see in the spirit. And may we be content with where you lead. And may we trust in your process to know that you're for us and not against us. So Holy Spirit, minister to us this morning and begin to restore. In your name, amen. So in your bulletins, grab your bulletins. And then the title of the sermon is, the title of the sermon is Remaining Calm in a Crisis. It's a great title. It's an even great sermon. But I'm not preaching that one today. Um, yeah, so it, I have a great message. Maybe I'll do it next week or maybe I'll tack it on to the end of this series because we've got like a, a floater Sunday, so I might we'll add we'll add being, remaining calm in crisis. I'll tell you the the, the gist of, of the message. It's about managing your anger. It's about it's about not letting those moments of frustration and irritability, not allowing them to manifest into ugly anger. The truth of the matter is we all deal with anger. We need to process it the right way. Some of us suppress it. Some of us explode it and express it. But the the key to it is confessing your anger before the Lord and let him walk you through your disappointments. And so if you find yourself in a, in a state of anxiety, if you find yourself in a constant state of finding problems in every single person, finding problems in every single situation, and if it's manifesting in itself in uncontrollable rage and anger, I got a message for you, but it's just not today. So it, just, it didn't feel right. It's Mother's Day, so that message didn't feel right, and I couldn't get around it, and I wanted to preach it, but it just wasn't going to happen. So around 10 o'clock, I wrote another sermon last night, and so if it's not that good, it's not my fault. It's the Holy Spirit's fault, and <laughs> so it's Mother's Day. So all of you mothers, happy Mother's Day. All of you grandmothers, happy Mother's Day. And for all of you that came with mom today, God bless you guys. The Lord loves to see when we honor our parents. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments. You're just honor your mother and father. And, and so God bless you guys for doing that today. So, I, I, again, the anger thing is a very practical thing that we need to address because everybody's dealing with it. But yet, the Lord told me that we need to honor the mother of all mothers today. The mother of all mothers. Now, usually we reserve this one for Christmas. But I want to honor Mary today. Mary, the, the biological mother of Jesus. From one perspective, the mother of God. She deserves our respect and our honor. Uh, she usually doesn't get it inside of a Pentecostal uh, Protestant context, right? You know this. I'm not going to dig into it, but, but, but she should. This was the person that God chose to carry the Messiah. God chose her. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to highlight how is she connected to the series that we are in. So we're doing, we're reading, it's, it's really close to being line by line, precept upon precept, because James is so short, but so packed full of richness. But um, so the connection is, is that uh, who's James's mother, everybody? Mary, the guy that wrote this book. In your Bible, his mom was Mary. And what we can learn from her, I think, 
it's even in the lines, even though it doesn't come out and say it, but we, I think we can see some of the things that she learned and some of the things that she went through, some of the things that she experienced. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to reread. I know we've read this several times, but I think we need to hear it again. But James 1, 2. And I'm going to read it again. And again, we, we, this is one of the first scriptures that we started off with. Um, Youth Takeover Sunday did this scripture too. But it bears repeating. But now I want you to think about it in the context of James's mother, in the context of Mary and what she went through. And we're going to talk about what she went through and how she got through it. The testing of your faith. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. So, again, that's the one that we've been wrestling with. How in the world can I be joyful in the midst of a difficult trial? Count it all joy. Let's do the math. For we know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything, being made whole, your integrity being rebuilt. If anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. If anyone who, let him ask, who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, Without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. So, the beginning of this, counting it all joy when we face trials. Letting steadfastness and perseverance push us through, not doubting, not, not thinking about other things, not thinking about a way out, but being faithful to the call that God has placed in our life. Mary did this, and I thank God that she did. So the first thing that she does, I have five points. For some reason, if I don't hit all five, that means that I have, through my oratory skills, I have merged two points together. It's an amazing skill I have. But let's just say I have five. Again, I wrote this last night at about 10 o'clock. Despite fear, number one, despite being in a, in a shocking state of fear, Mary trusted God. So you know the story of the Annunciation. The angel Gabriel walks into her presence and says, Hello, highly favored gal, you're going you're gonna to carry the Messiah. God has found favor in you, and you have been called to do this incredible thing. And we think that Mary might have been 13 or 14 years old. From our perspective, that's kind of creepy. But it's cultural. I don't know. It is what it is. That's the reality of it. But this very young girl is called to do something very important, and she's got an archangel in her living room. And she is gripped with the fear of the Lord. She, and she's probably thinking to herself, I'm just trying to figure out like how to get to the junior high right now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry the Savior of the world? And she remained faithful and she put her trust in the Lord even though that she was gripped by fear. This is a very important point for us to get because fear and anxiety, uh, frustration, like it gets us. We have trials that can freeze us. We have trials that can cause us to lash out because we're coming from a state of fear. And yet she puts her faith and she says, yes, okay. Here's an important point. She could have said no. She could have said, no, oh, no, no, angel, I'm not going to do that. Because I know, I know what's at stake if I say yes. If I miraculously get pregnant out of wedlock, all those religious law-abiding folks, they're going to kill me. They're going to stone me. 
And if for some reason they don't kill me, I'm going to live with the stigma of being a single or having a child out of wedlock. You could see why she would be afraid. Not only is there a big angel telling her what to do, but she she probably understands what the consequences could be for saying yes. And yet she's obedient to the call and she steps across the line and says yes. Aren't we all glad that she did it? Gabriel's really glad that she said yes too. Because he's like, oh man, I gotta find another virgin. She said yes in the midst of fear. And I want you to think about this. When you're afraid, do you say yes to God? Or do you say, there's got to be another way. I got to hide or I got to figure something out in my own power. Number two, is it Mary? We see her, we see her do this in her story that she persists. She stays steadfast. She perseveres under trial, under pressure. She keeps going. So not only does she get over this enunciation thing, you know the story, she gets over, you know, having to have a baby in a manger, of being hunted down by a king, having to have to flee to Egypt. Like she has gone through a lot of trials, and yet she stays steady. And in the midst of this trial, and even in the midst of where she has found herself being pressured, do you know what she does that we need to learn to do? She praises God in the midst of it. Uh, if you didn't hear Pastor Michael Noyes' sermon last week on, uh, on uh, overcoming a storm, being anchoring your soul in a storm, is that what it was? Yeah. I want to encourage you to listen to it because it's going to say to you, even in the midst of a hard, difficult, stormy season, you need to give praise. You need to shout a hallelujah. And Mary does it. She's modeling this to us. Like, this is a really tough situation. And yet she sings a praise to God. It's absolutely amazing that this young gal does this. Number three, that Mary had this ability to grow and get closer to God during suffering. I think this is probably my best point. So Mary grows, and in the midst of suffering, she moves closer to God. Just take a second. Close your eyes if you want to. And I want you to think about the last time you suffered. Everybody in the room has gone through suffering. It's just it's a human condition. I want you to remind yourself of your state when you suffered the most in your life. What was it? Was it the loss of a loved one? Was it a bad report from the doctor? Was it financial ruin? What was the point in your life, the lowest, darkest moment when you were suffering the most? Think about it. What was it? You got it? Now ask yourself, did you do what Mary did? Did you move closer to God during that suffering, or did you move farther away from God? Suffering produces either one of those results. During suffering, either you get closer to God, or for some weird dysfunctional reason, you think God is the author of evil, and so you distance yourself from God because you think that He's involved in your suffering, but He's not. But I guarantee you, He'll use it. And Mary knew this secret. During the midst of a painful moment, She grew closer to Jesus. We even see Mary partnering with Jesus. The very first miracle at Cana, 
She works with Jesus. She wants something. She's treasured this miracle in her life forever, and now she wants some wine, and, and Jesus makes wine. This is the result of growing closer to God in the midst of hardship, is that you have, you have got Jesus' favor on your side. And Jesus answered her request and performed the miracle. Now, the worst suffering in the universe, we all should know, took place here. Amen? So the crucifixion was the worst suffering ever imaginable, not only on the world, but on a cosmic level. In and of itself, crucifixion was brutal. It's awful. It's painful. It's torture. But Jesus wasn't the only person tortured in this world. Other people have gone through something similar, maybe even something worse. The exponential suffering took place because Jesus had the sins of the world, your sins, your past sins, your, your present sins, the sins that you're going to make in the future, those were all laid on Jesus on the cross. That weight of that pain made him suffer like no one else has suffered. The, the thorns on his head and the holes in his wrists and the gouge in his side, that was secondary to the pain that he felt of having our sins upon him. Number one, suffer on the planet, in the universe. Number two would be Mary. Mary at the foot of the cross, watching her son die, the, the son that she sacrificed so much for, the son that she risked to bear, the son that she probably had dreams and aspirations for in the future. Her son was going to be the Messiah, the king of all kings, he was going to restore and redeem Israel. He was going to take over Jerusalem. He was going to be that guy. And now all of her dreams are just shattered at the foot of the cross. And she's seeing him dying up there. And I just can't imagine what that would be like. In the midst of suffering, Mary presses in closer to the Lord. Yeah? Again, who wrote this book? James. Where is he right now? So if we're at the foot of the cross, where is James? You ever thought about that? This is an original Kapczynski idea, by the way. You won't find this in theological books anywhere. I should, I should write a book. But where is James? Where is he? We know that Jesus had four brothers. James, Jude, Joseph Jr., and Simeon. They're not with mom. Mom is going through the most trying, difficult thing that she's ever experienced in her entire life. She could be the next one up there being crucified. And her brothers, excuse me, her sons and her daughters, they're not with her. She's there at the foot of the cross alone with the exception of John. It's just those two guys up there. Could you imagine the suffering her soul would feel in that moment. Not only is she grieving the loss of her son, but she's feeling betrayed by her own family. If you've been following along in this series, you know that James, and I'll tell you right now, Jude too, they weren't believers when Jesus was walking around. They did not believe that their own brother was the Messiah. They doubted. They were double-minded. They had no faith. They were jealous. They were insecure. They had sibling rivalry. Who knows what was going on? But they were jacked up. And they could not, through their being jacked up, they could not see Jesus for who he was. So selfish, in fact, they couldn't even be there with mom. Could you imagine how she felt with this? Feeling alone? Now, this is how amazing Jesus is. Do you know how good Jesus is to you? He, is so, he knows what you need. I mean, the dude is dying this grisly, gruesome death. It's bad. People are laughing at him. 
On top of that, he's got the sins of the world piled on top of him. And then you know what he says to his mother? He says, Mom, that skinny little kid sitting next to you, that's your son. And he looks over to John. He says to John, John, this amazing lady that is at the foot of the cross that's been with me at day one, this is your new mother. You take care of her. And John, from that point on, invites her into the house. And he took care of her. Isn't that amazing what our Jesus does? That he puts his mom first, even when he's going through it? What an incredible model. Let's think about that. Have you ever been going through something really bad where it's just there's so much pain and anguish that the only thing that you can focus on is focusing on your own pain and your own discomfort and how bad things are going for you? How about if we just take a little cue from Jesus and maybe put somebody else first in the midst of our suffering? You know what happens when we do that? You get joy. You get transformation. You, you quit focusing on your pain, and you, you flip it with the opposite spirit. How can I help someone else? And that's what Jesus does now. John, he wrote the Gospel of John, a couple of epistles, and maybe you might know he wrote Revelation. John the Revelator. He was old when he wrote it. Might have been pushing a hundred. He was uh, exiled on an island of Patmos. Mary, at this point, obviously she's long gone. There's debate about what happened to Mary when she passed. Some say that she ascended into heaven like Jesus did. We don't have any biblical proof of that. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying it's not in the Word of God. And then some say that she died in her home. John took Mary wherever she went. What point are we on, by the way? On four? Okay, point four. is that we can trust Jesus with the unknown. Mary put her trust in Jesus in the unknown, meaning that she had no sense of the future, of of a security. We all desire to have security built into our lives. We want to build our 401ks. We want to make sure our retirement's taken care of. We want to line things up so that we are that we're secure in the future. And Mary didn't have a 401k, folks. And yet, putting her faith and her trust in God, he took care of her. He provided John to meet her needs. When James and Jude, who knows what those guys were doing, John was her safety blanket. John was the thing for her security in the future. But whoever thought about what was Mary's future going to look like after Jesus levitated off the planet? Have you ever thought about that? You might not have ever heard this one before. This might be new information for you if you think you know the Mary story. We know that John planted the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus, Asia Minor. It, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to the church at Ephesus around 60 A.D., so 60 years, you know, you know, about 30 years after Jesus ascended, and Paul's ministering to everybody, and, and he's writing this letter. The, the, the letter of Ephesians is, is so rich, we get so much of our doctrine and our theology out of it, so much life into it, and Paul is blown away by the Ephesians about how they love God. And how they are so connected with God. And again, it's not in the word of God. It's my imagination and maybe some extra biblical sources. John and Mary could have been sitting in the crowd when this letter was read to the congregation. Isn't that cool? 
Let me read you a little excerpt from Ephesians chapter 2. Chris, let's go ahead and bring that one up. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And again, maybe, maybe not, but Mary could have been in the audience. John could have been in the audience. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's the devil, by the way. The spirit, he also has control over your phones. Joke. Sorry. That one didn't land. Okay. Who is now at work with those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath or objects of God's law. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Amen? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Again, for you have been saved by grace through what, church? Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. So your salvation is a free gift, a gift from God. Think about the gift that you're going to give mom later, earlier today, or the gift you might receive. Think about the gift right now. And it is not by works, so that no one can boast. So you can't work for your salvation. You can't work to please God. The only thing that you can do to make God happy, if you were here last week, is what? It's faith. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. So that nobody could boast. Now, I quote this scripture probably almost every Sunday. For we are God's workmanship. We are God's craftsmanship. We are God's masterpiece is another translation of it. We are God's really cool art object. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, so again, if you want to defile your Bibles, underline craftsmanship, underline masterpiece, un, or write in, I'm, a, I'm God's cool art object. He really likes me. God really likes you. He made you in his image. You are his masterpiece. You're not a piece of trash. He's madly in love with you. He wants to hang you on a wall. Put you on display. The reason why I had you underline masterpiece and craftsmanship is because in Ephesus at this time, there were a lot of pieces of artwork laying around and being sold. Ephesus was party town. Ephesus was funville. You went to Ephesus to have a good time. And during this, during this season, during this timeline, Ephesus was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the world. They had a great, beautiful temple in the middle that everybody flocked to, to go and see. And if you've ever been to an amusement park, I'm going to be very generic on amusement parks, so it can be any amusement park. Behaving myself. It could be any amusement park. It could be any museum be any events, and if you've been to a museum, if you've been to an amusement park, what do they usher you out of? What do you have to go through in order to get out of there? 
you got to go through the gift shop. Ephesus had a big, amazing gift shop. And you could go there, and you can get yourself a souvenir. But it was a little bit more than a souvenir. It was these... I'm going to say a really cool idol because I like objects, but it wasn't cool. It was evil and wicked. But you get this object, you go to the gift shop, and it was, a, it was an idol of the goddess Artemis. And Artemis was a fertility goddess. She was a goddess of war. She was the huntress. Of course, like all the other female deities of the time, she was highly sexualized. And so, let's put two and two together. Ephesus was a party town. And if you wanted to have a good time, you know what I'm saying? You go to Ephesus, and you're going to have a good time. Also, if you needed to get pregnant, and you couldn't get pregnant, you go to Ephesus, and you buy one of these little silver statues. And then supposedly it's like a fertility clinic. You'd get pregnant. I don't know how it works. But that was the economy. They, they sold this product. They, they, they made money on this. And by time when Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, the church that John planted, and who's with John right now? Who's with, her? Who's with him? Mary is with him. By time John is writing this, there is such an upheaval in the culture of Ephesus that they, they can't sell these trinkets anymore. Why? It's because the gospel message was being preached for the faithfulness of John. And I would like to believe through the faithfulness of Mary. You see, her destiny was tied to Ephesus. God had made a way. He had plans for her to do something in advance. He had secured her security. She was taken care of and she was doing the stuff. She was an important person. We know this because we know her name. After the, res- after the crucifixion, women came to the tomb. And you know this story. They came to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body for burial. And there's three Marys. And there might have been more. There was a Solomon. I don't have time to get into all the possible women that could have been there. But in Matthew chapter 26, it says Mary was there, the mother of James. It doesn't say the mother of Jesus. It says the mother of James. I'm not quite sure how we can read into that, but it's, it's important. But Mary was there, the mother of Jesus, the mother of James. Mary Magdalene, which we know. Mary Cleopas. Though there's three Marys. This just gets a little complicated, right? Why can't they just change their names? And other women. They're anointing the body of Jesus. Now, the Bible... The New Testament, particularly, is one of the most liberating books in all of humanity towards uplifting the equality of women. Like, in an ancient context, this is craziness for them to even name a woman in the scriptures like this. And then they give testimony to the resurrected Jesus a little bit later. They tell the boys that Jesus is resurrected. So God chose them to do that. But furthermore, you kind of have to read between the lines. I don't have time to get into it. But not only was Mary, the mother of James, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary Cleopas, maybe Salome, um, they aren't just regular old women. They were leaders. They were disciples. They were doing the stuff. They were preaching the gospel. They were changing the world. They were mothers of the faith. And Mary goes into, in her next season of life, her next adventure, she's gone through so many adventures. She's been so faithful, and God has been faithful to her. And her next adventure in life was to literally turn 
the city of Ephesus upside down from a really disgusting fertility cult into an entire city that loved Jesus to the point where it was bankrupting the economy because no one was buying those stupid statues anymore. Isn't that awesome? Now, I need you to see this, too. I I don't have pictures of it. I did, but it didn't come through because I did this at 10 o'clock at night. But there's there's the image of Artemis. Okay, if you don't know who Artemis is, um, this might disappoint some of you. It's Wonder Woman. I know, that hurts, doesn't it? But it, it is, because uh, Ephesus was built and founded by the Amazons. And if you watched Wonder Woman, you know that, those are, that they're a bunch of Amazon women, powerful women. But there's a... There's, I'm sorry for all of you Wonder Woman fans. But Artemis was twisted. It was not God's will. It was not God's design. It was not God's best. He, he, the enemy of God took something that was so good and so nurturing, and so motherly, and he made it something disgusting. And Mary comes into the city in the opposite spirit and transforms it. (laughs) In the 19th century, there's a woman that had a dream. And in this dream, she was given the precise location of Mary's house. And some stupid archaeologist said, well, maybe it's there. They excavated it, and they found Mary's house in Ephesus. The city was completely transformed, and now there is not a statue of Artemis anymore, which, again, I can't show you on the screen because it wouldn't be appropriate for church. There's a a statue of Mary there, a woman that needs to be honored and raised up in our opinions. Her very presence there transform that society into worshiping a fertility goddess, to worshiping Jesus. When Paul writes to Ephesus, he's blown away by their love. He doesn't really have anything negative to say about to the Ephesians. He, he's, he's blown away by their giftedness, by their generosity to one another. Ephesus, again, he doesn't have a whole lot to say about it. Mary was faithful. This is, how many points did I give you? Five? All right, this is the last point. Mary was faithful to her calling to the very end. She never quit. She never gave up. She was obedient. She persevered despite the hardships and the trials, despite the rejection from her own sons and daughters. God made a way. God will honor your faithfulness. It might not feel like it right now, it might feel like you're in Egypt, it might feel like you're on the run. It might feel like you had the rug pulled out from underneath you. It might feel like you have a bunch of daggers in your back. But if you stay faithful to God, he promises that he is going to stay faithful to you. And it is a condition and it's an attitude of the heart. And Mary had this. She had an affection for her son, not only because he was her son, but because he was her savior as well, that he was her Lord. And it is that affection for Jesus, it is that love for Jesus that helped her to live a transformed, secure life. That's what Lord has planned for you. In 90 AD, John the church planter of Ephesus, the one whom Jesus loved, who started this whole thing in this wicked city, John is now exiled in the island of Patmos. All of his friends are now have been murdered or
or martyred or have died. The world is a little upside down. And he writes this letter. He writes the book of Revelation. And he writes to the seven churches in Asia. But specifically, he writes to the church of Ephesus. He writes to the church that he started. And you know what he says? He says, I got something against you. You have forsaken your first love. It's time to fall back in love with Jesus again. It's time to honor him and to obey him and to be obedient to his calling. Remember what Mary did. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm saying that. But could you imagine that, that he took care of Mary? They started that church together. Return to your first love. And it is so easy to do. It's so easy to come home. Being the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter, it might feel impossible or painful at first, but it is so easy because our loving Heavenly Father is there. And he's there to embrace you. In fact, He meets you in the field halfway to give you a big giant hug. That is what He wants to do for you. God is so good. He's so gracious. So today on Mother's Day, as a Protestant pastor, I thank God that we have a hero in the Bible that we all can relate to, Mary, the mother of James, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jude. I am so blessed that we have had saints like her that have gone before us. So. Be like Mary. During trials and tribulations, never give up, never quit. Be faithful. Trust God. Know that He has a plan. Know that He has a security for your future. He, you can put your faith in your trust in Him. You can do it today. You stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessings of faithful people that have gone before us. Whether it is Mary, the mother of James, or whether it is great grandma, who every morning got on her knees and prayed for her kids and her, and her grandkids. We thank you so much for those that, that step in the gap and intercede for us. To cry out, cry tears of mourning when their children have wandered away. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you begin just to rebuild us again from the inside out, to strengthen us to our core, and may we walk out a different person this morning, a transformed person that counts it all joy no matter what the season.